Thank you for listening to the Martinis and the Macabre podcast. This show contains graphic content and explicit language and is intended for adults. Listener discretion is advised. customer at well a customer at my old store for anybody listening this new um i manage a liquor store and this woman would come in i'm clearly not going to say her name but um okay let's just call her debbie downer and she's like the sweetest woman in the world and you actually know who she is so just point that out is it no don't say names it's not why I have the bleep sound. It's not. Uh, <laughs> and you're saying it. She's you're the, say, that's more editing. Yeah. She's the one who said that you're like hot. Oh, the one that's crazy. No, she's not crazy. She has to be if she says I'm hot. Oh, you're gorgeous. I'm not. You're hot. But she would come in. <laughs> Every time I see her car pull up, I'm like, oh, she's here. She's going to depress the shit out of me. <laughs> I was in a good mood, too. I woke up and. Took a shit. It was a good one. I stopped and got Burger King. I'm really happy right now with the way things are going. And then there she is. And again, <laughs> she's so nice. She's like such a nice and sweet person. But there's there's always something wrong. And I don't know what made me think about with it. her. Yeah, and- yeah. Like I, she came in. And I'm like, hey, Debbie Downer, how are you, honey? And she's like, I'm good, Billy. I'm good, sweetie. I was like, how's everything going? She's like, well, it's going okay. The tumor's back. And I'm like, fuck! <laughs> God, she just really laid that Damn one out it. for you. Yeah. Like, one time she came in, she kept scratching her head. I'm like, are you okay? And she's like, yeah, honey, I'm fine. These staples really hurt. <laughs> oh, my God. What'd she have staples in her head for? Um, She had something happen to her head, clearly. That Obviously. was an understatement. But she had something bad happen. Like, she had to have a plate put in. And then, like, the screws they used to put Is in. Is that where the tumor was? No. No. But she had to have a plate put in. And the screws or pins that they used, her body, like, rejected them and Ooh. started pushing them out. So they had to cut her scalp open, get the pins out, find a way to keep the shit in there, and then staple her together. Like, Paper, I, I guess. This was something, what the fuck can I compare staples a to? A carpenter? Yeah, with with hair. So every time she leaves, I just want to go home and cry. Even good shit that happens. She married. She married her girlfriend, her longtime girlfriend. Mm-hmm. And this and these 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 women are in like their sixties, oh maybe. Mm. And so, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, she was like. I just got married. I said, oh, Debbie Downer, I can't believe it. Good for you. <laughs> I said, oh, you blushing brides, the both of you. And she's like, yeah. She's on her last round of chemo, so we just got married for the insurance. I'm like, God <laughs> damn it. <laughs> That's an awful reason just, to get married. Everything she says is just so sad. <laughs> oh. <sighs>
Oh, what made me think of Debbie Downer today? If any of you guys have a Debbie Downer in your life, be sure to post it on our Facebook page. <laughs> I'd love to fucking hear about it. Maybe well, you could top mine. Yeah, let us know. I, I thought about her today because I was like, I walked past a stack of cases. She always got like 30 packs of, 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 of natural light, you know. And I walked by. Natty? Yeah, old Natty. And I walked by and I was like, oh, I wonder how Debbie Downer's doing. And then this made me think of that and got me depressed. Aww. I miss Debbie Downer. Hope she's doing okay. Probably not. <laughs> but I hope everything's working out for her. I hope so, too. You brought this night to an utter standstill for me. It was fun. a good day. I was like, congratulations. Like, I was so happy for you guys. Like, yeah. Chemo's about done. <laughs> <laughs> we did it for the insurance. Oh, wow. Oh, God. I would do my epic fail horn, but I can't. I have a new phone. I haven't downloaded that yet. We both do. We have new phones. Yay! Yay! Mine's better. Fuck you. <laughs> That's all I got. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were gonna come at me with some statistics or data or something. No, but, no. but if I need to, I just, can just just the fact that you feel that it's better. I can look up statistics on my new phone. That's okay. If you want to? We have a podcast to do. I can here. Pull it up. No, we yeah. have a podcast to do. I just focus on the podcast. I can just swipe it. I can just swipe. It's there. Yeah, you just swipe a whole bunch of shit because you've been playing on your phone all night. <laughs> While you're busy playing with your phone, I'm going to introduce the show. Okay. Welcome to Martinis in the Macabre, the podcast where we drunkenly discuss morbid murders, mysteries, and mayhem. I am your host this evening. My name is Erica, and I'm joined by my very busy husband, Billy. Large Marge sent me. Okay. Large Marge. If you don't get that reference, something is wrong with you. Yeah. That's not one you get a gold star for. That's just... That's you just human. That's every day. Okay. 30 or older. I'll give them that. Or if you're 20 and a hipster. Hipsters? I bet. Hmm. I'll bet. What do you bet? Not my new phone, bitch. That's mm. my shit. Woo! Tonight we're going to be covering a multiple murder case that had a conviction, but some people feel that maybe it was a wrongful conviction. So we're going to go over the case of the prom night murders, which actually happened here in Indiana. Let me kind of give you just a crash course on what happened um, the night of the murders that we're talking about. This was the Pelly family. And on Saturday, April 29th of 1989, which was the night of the murders, 17-year-old son Jeff attended his prom Stayed overnight with friends and then got up early the next day to go to a theme park. Never trust a man named Jeff. Why is that? That's shit. They're just. They're. 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 they're I'm trying to think of a good word. I can't think of one. They're just untrustworthy. Unless you're listening to this or your name is Jeff, I like you. You're all right. Oh, you're special. I got nothing against Jeff. So I just wanted to throw something in there. <laughs> that following Sunday, while Jeff was at the theme park with classmates, Wait, this was Indiana, right? Yeah. Where do you think they went? This is in the 80s. I will get to that. It could have been old Indiana. It wasn't. Ah! Okay. No, it was not. He actually went to Six Flags Great America, I believe. Oh. It's near Chicago. This happened up kind of northern Indiana near South Bend. Uh, okay. 
that Sunday after um, Jeff's prom, he was at the theme park. The bodies of his father, Reverend Robert Pelly, who was 38, his stepmother Dawn, who was 32, and two of his stepsisters, Janelle, who was eight, and Jolene, who was six, were all found dead from close-range shotgun wounds in their home, which happened to be the parsonage of their church. When the family didn't show up for the 930 service at the Olive Branch Church of the United Brethren in Christ, neighbors and congregates became concerned, and a group walked over to the parsonage to check on them. You know, that's a big-ass name for a church. Yeah. Olive Branch Church of the United Brethren in Christ. Like, what church do you go to? The Olive Branch Church of the fucking the one on 12th Street. <laughs> I think they kind of re- referred to it in shorthand as Olive, the Olive Branch. Oh. No, not Olive Garden. Have you had their breadsticks? I have. I'd worship in fucking place. <laughs> I've eaten at Olive Garden a couple times, but weirdly enough, never here in town. It's good. <laughs> I went there with the boys. We mm-hmm. enjoyed it. Took a tour of Italy. I don't think we did. But it was good pasta. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't there. We were still in Indiana. We didn't go yeah. fucking anywhere. New anyway, phones. Yeah. 10,000 so, downloads. <laughs> Olive Back Garden. to the Olive Branch. Lots of good things. This group of neighbors and congregants got a little concerned that they didn't show up for the service and walked over to the parsonage to check on them. They knocked on the doors multiple times and got no answer. And they tried to look in through the windows, but the curtains were all pulled shut. So there was a church elder there. His name was Will Tisdale. He happened to be a neighbor as well. He used the spare key from the church to unlock the side door, and he stepped in. Bless his heart because he's deaf, right? No. But these are shotgun wounds, and he's a neighbor. Right. He's not deaf? Nope. Wait, is it like... Chewing on the corn where your neighbor's like a quarter mile away. That could happen. Maybe. I do not have an exact measurement on how far away he was. Deaf made me think of one thing. Blind. And that makes me have a beef with the movie. Remind me later. I'll explain my beef with the movie involving a blind person. Go ahead. I probably won't remember. Ah, shit. Now I gotta do it. He walked in and found Robert lying dead in the upstairs hallway and immediately called 911. So he found Robert lying dead in the upstairs hallway and immediately called 911. And after hanging up with dispatch, he searched the house for Dawn and the kids. Down in the basement, huddled together, were the bodies of Dawn and two of her three daughters. Like a body teepee? I suppose. Will later stated, quote, The kids was at the foot of the stairway, just a little way down the stairway, and I didn't go all the way down. I went about two or three steps. That was enough for me. It was a bloody mess. Let's preface this story by going back in time a little bit. Let's talk about Jeffrey. He's the man of the hour. Jeffrey was born Robert Jeffrey or Jeff Pelly in Ohio on December 10th of 1971. He had a sister, Jackie, who was three years younger. They were raised in a religious household. And when their mother, Joy, died on February 24th of 1985, 
Jeff was 13 at the time. Jackie would later say that their father, Bob, wouldn't let them cry over their mother's death. Good Lord. Could they not dance, too? <laughs> what type of town is this shit? Oh, uh, Maybe not. I don't know. There was no talk of that. No dance talk. That's what's um, wrong with the fucking world. <laughs> they ended up in Florida, where Bob was working as the IT director at a bank. And less than a year after Joy died... Bob married Dawn in November of 1985. How soon? February to November. Wow. Nine months. So quick to find the true love of your life. Yep. Dawn had three girls of her own. There was Janelle and Jolene, who would end up murdered, and their older sister, Jessie, who I think was about nine at the time that all the murders occurred. So one night, Bob's work called around midnight after a surprise audit revealed that $1 million had been embezzled. That's a lot of money back then. Yeah. And being the IT director, Bob went in and worked with investigators to track down the culprits. And they had ties to a cartel dealing in cocaine. Those are two words you don't want in the same sentence, cartel and cocaine. Yeah. (laughs) Nothing but bad news in that sentence. Well, the very next night, according to daughter Jackie, they up and moved to Lakeville, Indiana in the middle of the night. Because they got to bring their fucking problems over here. They also strangely changed their religious denomination from Church of the Nazarene as Bob took the position of pastor at the Olive Branch Church of the United Brethren in Christ. Olive Garden. (laughs) So they up and moved overnight and changed their denomination. There was tension in the house between the two families. The surviving daughters claimed they weren't the Brady Bunch. Jackie stated, quote, We didn't always get along with Dawn or see eye to eye with her. We did not agree with the way Dawn was raising the girls because it was different than the way we were raised. And from what I've garnered from what I've read is that Bob tended to be a little more strict with Jackie and Jeff than Dawn was with her three girls. Jackie and Jeff tended to be allies in this situation, and Jackie had fond memories of Jeff and felt that he was, quote, an all-around good guy. Yeah, they say that about everybody that kills. (laughs) He was nice. He was quiet. (laughs) Well, the other side of the story is Jessie's, who was Dawn's surviving daughter, She had harsh memories of Bob. Quote, I just remember a lot of rules. Like in church, we couldn't talk at all. That was a harsh rule there. Man. We had to sit there and listen. Some people really got it bad. If we did talk, you know, we got a spanking when we got home. Talk, it better be about Christ. (laughs) Maybe the one thing you say to church, we're going in there, and you guys are going to shut the fuck up. And if you say anything, it better have the words hallelujah or fucking amen in it. Yeah, well, according to Jesse, it was hard to be a preacher's child and to, quote, act perfect. Because I can remember all the times when, you know, you're at church and you want to talk, and 99% of the parents would be like, I will beat your ass when we get out of here, you shut your mouth. My grandma did that. Yeah, that's how most people are with church. Remember with the church? I would sit there and move around in the pews. Do you know why I did that? Do you know why? Why? Because there was solid fucking wood. Oh my God, they hurt. (laughs) I'm sitting there like, 
Grandma, my tailbone hurts. And she'd grab hold of my wrist. Like, you shut up. Okay. <laughs> I was so happy to stand up and sing. You know, you get the hymn books and you stand up. Because I could get up off that fucking pew. I was like, oh, man. Thank God. Phew. Get it? Because you spell phew, pew. Mm-hmm. Right? That was pretty good. I liked it. Does that mean I had it bad? According to her, I think everyone had it bad because they were made to be quiet and solemn at church. Well, I guess this is our last episode of Martinez and Macabre. Sorry, honey, I gotta go get the shotgun. <laughs> Don't you cry. Don't any of you cry. Now that is a little ridiculous. That's, that's but it's rough. not unreasonable to expect your kids to behave in church. Sorry, Jesse, but... They're kids. Yeah. Kids are gonna be kids. It'd be the same if you took them to a, oh my God, take them to a fucking restaurant. Try that shit out. That's why they have those little fucking tablets now. You know, you sit down and you get to play games and shit. Yeah. Get the kids to shut the hell up for just five seconds while you can enjoy some of those great breadsticks they have at Olive Garden. <laughs> okay. I want some fucking Olive Garden. Hmm. What? Turn your ringer off. That's my old phone. I forgot it existed. <laughs> Power off. Bye, Samsung. Hello, other Samsung. I'm still here. Shh, don't cry. Don't cry. Back to the story at hand. Better phone than yours. Prior to the prom, and it's not, fuck you, Jeff got into some trouble. He what, was... do you, what do you do? Talk out loud? No. Did he cry? He was arrested for petty theft. Jesus, okay, never mind. Petty theft. It's still theft. But it's petty. Just a little. (laughs) Just just a little bit. It's okay. It's just a little bit of theft. Bob grounded him from all the pre- and post-prom activities, and he was forbidden to drive his Mustang. Bob was still going to allow Jeff to go to prom, but only if Bob drove him to and from the dance himself. Now, Will Tisdale, which was the church elder and neighbor that would later find the bodies. The deaf guy. The deaf guy, I guess. Reportedly spoke to Bob about Jeff's troubles and the situation with the prom during the week of the prom and the murders. He was like, listen, it's a nice Mustang. And if my dad told me I couldn't take my Mustang to my prom, I'd blow his fucking head off with a shotgun. So help me God. And I know, Bob, you don't like hearing that. Did he say that? I don't think so. Oh. I, I don't know that he said that, but I'm highly inclined to think that he did not. I was like, watch your back, Bob. Or your front. Or your side. Wherever you see the muzzle of a shotgun, <laughs> watch out. No, according to Will, he stated that Bob had no intention of letting Jeff drive his car to prom. And said, quote, his dad told me he took stuff out of it where it wouldn't run. And according to everyone else police talked to, Bob was adamant about him not driving the car. <laughs> Why don't you just let him take the car to prom? Fuck that, I cut his brakes. <laughs> everyone stated that Bob was determined to get Jeff back on the straight and narrow and that it was a slim chance he would have had a change of heart. Multiple people reported that Bob said he took vital parts out of the Mustang's engine to make sure that Jeff didn't sink and drive. So on the night of the prom, 
Jeff's sister Jackie was away from the house visiting a friend at a local college for the night, which this has perplexed me because Jackie's three years younger than him. That would make her 14, and she's visiting someone that's at college overnight. Mm, yeah. Kind of strange to me. I can see but that. anyway. It was the 80s. It was a lawless wasteland. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen Gremlins? Oh, my God. <laughs> Large Marge. Large Marge. <laughs> and, uh... Don's oldest daughter, Jessie, who was the lone survivor of Don's three girls, she was at a sleepover with friends. Just a general nine-year-old party night. That seems normal. Not the whole visiting a friend in college. It was just a girl like, oh, I'm going to have a slumber party. That makes sense. Okay, so those two were away from the house. And that afternoon, Jeff called his date, Darla, to let her know he would be picking her up. And she, as well as Jeff's friends, all questioned how he was able to drive. He stated that his father relented at the last minute and was allowing him to drive and participate in all of the activities. Which, to me, means his dad didn't allow him to. You ready for this? Mm -hmm. This is my theory. Mm -hmm. Wait. Here we go. Glasses on. Blew his dad's head off. Glasses off. <laughs> That's your whole stance on this right now? Yeah, I think I should be a writer for that cold case file show. Mm. Solved it. I'm going to try and break down the timeline here as best could be determined by witnesses and what everyone observed over the course of the events between Saturday afternoon and Sunday. Don't approach a neighbor unless you got a fucking notepad. Apparently he can't hear Right. So on Saturday night at about, well, I guess it was Saturday afternoon, at about 4.30 p.m., Jeff's friend Kim Oldenburg stopped by the Pelly house with her mother and her date before going to prom. She said at that time Jeff was dressed casually in a pink and blue shirt and jeans and later testified that she felt a lot of tension during the visit, that Jeff appeared angry and sullen. I don't know why he could clearly use his car be pissed off too not to the point where i blow my parents heads off but like he was told he couldn't go and your car is sabotaged and you show up with your date <laughs> ah it seemed weird really did it are you sure you jackass well at 5 15 another friend matt stopped by shortly after kim we're not exactly sure how long kim was there but shortly after she left matt stopped by and he realized that he had left his date's corsage at home, and he had to drive back to get it. Now, on his return trip to the prom, he passed by the Pelly house, which was around 5.15, and noticed Jeff's car was still in the driveway. So, if we account for Kim being there, visiting for a few minutes, her leaving, a few minutes later, Matt shows up. We can assume, since this is kind of a small town, he probably doesn't live that far away. He had to leave and drive back to his house and then on the way back towards the prom, passed by the Pelly house. And that was a 515. And he noticed that Jeff's car was still in the driveway at that time. Now, about five minutes later, at 520, Jeff made the call to Darla from an Amico gas station. 
and he said he was running late due to car trouble. The gas station attendant recalled Jeff coming in and asking for a wrench. Jeff stated the car was, quote, idling rough. The attendant saw Jeff get under the hood for a few minutes, and then he came back in and returned the wrench. See, that was back in the 80s, man. You can't do that shit now. Can I get a wrench? Fuck you, man. They're on the fucking rack there. Why don't you buy one? Yeah. So that call was made at 520, and about 10 minutes later at 530, Jeff arrived at a friend's house where Darla was at to pick her up for the prom. While he was there, Jeff changed into a tuxedo, although it was unknown what he was wearing at the time when he arrived. I couldn't find that in the research that I did. And I did source many different sites for this information and even read excerpts of a book about this. Um, But I couldn't find in what I read what exactly he was wearing that he needed to change out of into a tuxedo. I'm not exactly sure why he didn't have a tuxedo at his house to change into. So he changed into the tuxedo and Jeff and Darla then left with another couple to go to South Bend, which was approximately 10 miles away from Lakeville. And they decided to go out for a celebratory dinner before the prom. During this time. Do you do that? I'm sorry. Do you do that before prom? Yeah. You know, the restaurants and stuff, they have Mm -hmm. people come in in their prom dresses and tuxedos and stuff. That'd be like after prom. And I've worked restaurants. And I remember coming in like, oh, you have a 20 top. You have a 30 top. And then you got to make all this shit for all these people. But I mean, like, I don't know, like, wouldn't you be afraid of getting shit on your tux or on your dress? No, because the prom usually runs late and there's not a lot of places open to eat after that. They usually come in before. Okay. Yeah. I just would think, like, man, I don't want to get... I mean, I love Olive Garden, but I can't imagine (laughs) getting any marinara on my tux. It's a rental. You know what I mean? Yeah, I understand. Mm. But they went anyway. (laughs) Proving me wrong left and right, I guess. (laughs) Well, during this time while they were gone at this dinner, a family friend named Crystal Easterday stopped by the Pelly house. She had actually been waiting at her house on Robert and Don to come and see her dress, but they didn't show up. So when they failed to show, she decided she would just go to them so that she could show off her prom dress. But she assumed that no one was home because there was no answer when she got to the house. Um, all the doors were locked. The blinds and curtains were closed. She did notice that all the vehicles were there on the property except Jeff's Mustang, which fits with the timeline of him already being gone at that time and picking up Darla and getting changed and going out to eat. She thought it was a bit odd, but she went ahead and continued on to the prom. Now, I have a suggestion to the ladies out there. Any younger ladies listening who are about to go to prom, or we'll be going to prom later. Which you year. shouldn't be. 18 and older. We're explicit. Just saying. Yeah. I'm glad you put that out there. Yep. I know that's not going to change anybody. You said Just it. have to say it. This is for 18 and older. If you're going to prom, here's what I say. If you're going to go to prom, don't go to other people's houses and show off your dresses and take big group pictures and all that stuff. Be that one. Be that one who doesn't do that. And then you make your prom date, either if it's a boy or another girl, doesn't matter. If it's a girl, you could got you you could, you could like switch. It, it'd be cool. You could take turns. Open the door, 
hopefully double doors, and whoever your date is behind you, let the, do a Zhang Wu, and then have two doves, and then just open up, and then just open the door and be like, look at me, bitches. And then, boom, there it is. Right? You're obsessed with John Wu entrances. They, they're the best. Could you imagine walking in and then, like, two doves just fly out behind you? And it's like, I didn't even stop in your fucking driveway to take a picture with you. I'm not going to do duck face. I'm right here right now. You can look at this shit. Look at those doves. Look at those doves. You know where they're from? Fucking Cambodia. I don't even know if they have doves. But the point is, just do that. Cambodian doves. They're pretty. Maybe. <laughs> if they exist. <laughs> I'm sure they're beautiful if they exist. Gorgeous. If and you're from Cambodia, which you probably aren't, let us know if you have doves. They're gorgeous, in theory. <laughs> All right. Okay, moving on. Six o'clock at night. Crystal has already been there to show off her prom dress to nobody. Yeah, see? Do a John <laughs> Wu entrance. Everybody will fucking see you. She's been there and left. And a neighbor who was out mowing his lawn, which maybe that's why they didn't hear the gunshots. You didn't pay attention. I was still talking. Nah, dude. You ever he heard, was out you mowing. Ever heard, you ever heard a shotgun? Not like up close and personal. Fucking loud. But uh, he was out mowing and noticed that the curtains at the Pelly house were drawn tight. And he thought it was kind of strange because they weren't typically pulled shut at that time. He also noticed later in the evening around 9 p.m. that the basement light was still on as well. A nosy-ass fucking neighbor. Well, you get to know your neighbors and kind of their habits. And if, you know, they don't close their blinds till 9 p.m., then would, you'd notice that. I would think nothing of it. Now, if our neighbors were to look at our house and see our blinds open after, like, oh, 6 p.m., they would think that was weird because... Billy comes home and closes the blinds every day because the sun shines in. They would just notice that. It would be cool to replace all the windows in my house with two-way glass. Two-way? One-way. <laughs> two-way is, is glass. <laughs> it doesn't change anything. Oh my god, you're right. <laughs> That's why it's two-ways. The kind that we have in my office... Wouldn't that be cool, though? You wouldn't even need blinds, really, because nobody could see in. Or you could just buy blinds. That'd be cool, though, man. It's a hell of a lot cheaper. I'm going to look into that. When we move into our new house, ooh, ooh. with our new phones, ooh, ooh. getting a dog. Ooh, ooh. Oh, yes, we're getting a dog! Yay! A nurse that I work with, she is moving to another state, and she has to give up her doggy. And she is, like, the cutest thing ever. And so she's going to have uh, her boarded for a month. And then as soon as we move in, we can go get her. She's so pretty. She's cute. She's a big baby. She looks like a boxer mix. You know, to people who love this podcast, thank you for hanging in there because you know how we roll. To anybody new listening to the podcast, sorry, get used to it. We banter. <laughs> Very much so. A lot. We try and keep it as relevant as possible, but... Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes we just get happy. Sometimes we're a little inebriated and we just talk a lot. <laughs> and we're happy. We're happy. It's it, it's finally coming up, Jones. Yep. God damn, we have waited long enough. It's like everything this year is just kind of 
falling into place. Okay. I, I'm kind of leery yeah. about being too happy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking any day now, something's going to fucking happen. We're going to move into our house, and as soon as we get the last nail nailed in and hang up a picture... The whole fucking house is going to collapse? No, something worse. Like, we'll go to war. Oh, God. We'll get invaded. Something is good. Something's gonna happen. It's gonna be just awful to where you and I both pull a Leonardo and we just throw the fucking hammers down. Like, you know what? Yeah, yeah, this makes sense. Sure. Let's make some soap. Son of a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Aside from all of our banter, we still have a story to bring you. So thanks for hanging in, I'll, listeners. I'll rein us in right now. Yeah, Erica is good with this. She'd be like, "All right, back to the dead bodies," and I'm like, yeah, wah, 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 wah. At this point, they were probably already dead. Uh, so, Jeff's night that evening was after dinner in South Bend. The couples went to prom, of course. And after prom, the couple and other Lakeville High School seniors went to a local bowling alley. <laughs> the whole time. Why not? The whole time they're like, Jeff, what's that smell? <laughs> not gunpowder. Well, and after bowling, Jeff and Darla went to Kim's house for a post-prom slumber party, which seems kind of weird to me. But stuff. Wear shoes. Wear shoes or at least flip-flops because you know that floor had to be gross. <sighs> You're right? disgusting. So they went to the slumber party and early Sunday morning at 7 a.m., uh, Jeff and Darla got up, left the sleepover to go get Darla's car and some money. And think about what they did. And think about what they did. It wasn't spin the bottle, that's for fucking sure. Jeff spoke to Darla's mother while he was waiting. And she was surprised that he was allowed to go on the class trip to a theme park that day. See, the graduating class of 1989 was going to Six Flags Great America, just outside Chicago as I mentioned earlier. And Jeff responded that he had a, quote, two-day pass from the Pelly prison. Darla would later tell ABC News in 2007 that while at the theme park, Jeff had a, quote, premonition. Quote, he told me that he had a strange feeling something happened at home, end quote. Okay, so while this is going on, back at the house, as I mentioned in the beginning the bodies were found 911 was called and of course the police and paramedics started to arrive detectives mark center and john botique were among the first on scene and i'm sorry if i mispronounced that name wrong it's b-o-t-i-c-h botich boteshi botich sounds fine to me you're welcome <laughs> center was horrified quote no human being should have ever seen what we saw that morning. Which is, I'm sorry, which is weird because it's almost like any type of murder we cover, there's always, am I wrong? There's always that one person, that one person quoted who's like a cop, who's like, I've never seen anything like this. I, like, what profession did you sign up for? But a lot of You're times what we cover, this. they probably haven't seen I wonder, what we're talking about. I wonder how a cop in Chicago or Detroit or New York would see that and be like, yeah, look at that. They fell on each other. That's weird. <laughs> like, look at how his hand landed. That's weird. And meanwhile, the cop who's like a seasoned cop in that 
small town is outside puking, that one cop's like, eh. Well, I'm sure in small town Lakeville, Indiana, they probably didn't have children being murdered with shotguns. Yeah, I know. I I feel like I'm being insensitive. I'm not trying to be. Quit being insensitive, Billy. So back to dead people. I'm insensitive. (laughs) Bob was found in an upstairs hallway with his feet pointed toward the end of the hallway, which was leading to not only Jeff's bedroom, but also the master bedroom. Would that indicate that he ran? Possibly. Makes me think of that movie, The Professional. Remember when he kicked in the door with the shotgun? The cop did. Uh-huh. And he kicked in the door and like the daughter was running down the hallway and he fucking blew her away. It's like, oh, well, you could tell she was trying to run. And just vomit just out of my brain. Yep. i do it. Yep. Thanks for hanging in there, listeners. Bob was shot twice at close range with deer slugs from a 20-gauge shotgun. Once in the chest and once in the neck. 20 gauge? Yep. Wow. 20 gauge deer slugs. 20? Not even birdshot. Slugs. Slugs. Okay. So he probably didn't have much left. Yeah, but 20 is not that big. In the head and the neck, though? Yeah. I mean, it's where you put the round that matters. Something like 20 round pellets or 20 gauge pellets. That's not that. I don't know. But slugs, that's different. That's a different, that's a, yeah, that's a different kettle of fish right there. Shit. Dawn and the girls were found huddled together in the basement, which could have muffled the shots as well. Each shot once with presumably the same shotgun from a distance of a few feet. Dawn was shot in the temple, Janelle in the forehead, and Jolene just below her right eye. Poor things. That tells me that they were probably, at least the two girls were looking at him when this happened. That's sad. For her, whoever the shooter is. All of the bodies were dressed in everyday clothes as opposed to like PJs or dress clothes for the church, which narrows the time they were shot to probably sometime before getting ready for bed on Saturday night. There was no sign of burglary or forced entry. And the only thing missing was Bob's 20-gauge Mossberg pump-action shotgun. A small load of laundry was found in the washing machine, consisting of a pink and blue shirt, blue jeans, and socks that had been through a wash cycle. Now, if we recall, Jeff's friend did say that he was dressed in a pink and blue shirt with jeans. Just throwing that out there. A luminol test of the washing machine cylinder would prove inconclusive. So they were unable to determine if there was actually blood residue on the clothing. Police questioned family and friends, but there were few leads to follow. Center determined that the scene, quote, showed us that someone from the inside did this. Police soon learned that three children were unaccounted for, which were Jeff, Jackie, and Jesse. And of course, the two people that got married had to have all kids with J names. And so once the police realized that they were unaccounted for, they, of course, began a search. Now, in the meantime, Jessie Pelly, who was nine years old, happened to return home from her overnight visit with her friend with all these cops in front of the house. She remembered cops were everywhere. Quote, at that age, the first thing I thought was my dog had died. You know, something happened to my dog. You don't think anything greater than that when you're that young. 
They just said that they were gone. They didn't go into details. You know, obviously my first reaction was to cry, and I cried for days. And no, I would say you can't. Yep. Because there's a body in the hallway. Yep. You know, because he said you can't cry. Mm-hmm. But he's dead. Yep. Okay. Jesse was able to tell police that Jackie was visiting a friend and that Jeff was at Six Flags. Just remember that for later. Put a pin in that. Jeff was tracked down at Six Flags by authorities who broke the news to them. <laughs> what? This picture of me at Six Flags and the, like, Bugs Bunny mascot comes up and is like, Oh, looks like I take a wrong turn in Albuquerque. <laughs> Your parents are dead. Oh my God, Billy. <laughs> You're awful. Ah, uh, nyak, 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 nyak. Get to the front gate. <laughs> you can't take it that seriously if you're a security officer and you have a Six Flags badge on and somebody says your parents are dead. You're like, what? <laughs> fucking what? Are you serious? Man, I'm about to get on the fucking pirate ship. What are you talking about? I just can't help but think about Or the old guy who always dances. Yeah. Do you know where your dad's shotgun is at this moment right now? <laughs> I'm glad you find yourself so amusing. Oh, God, he's snorting. Oh, man. Good times. Really? He just found out at the theme park that his parents are dead. I know. The one place you're supposed to be the happiest. And, of course, the police brought him back to Lakeville. And on the <clears> way back, <throat> Jeff allegedly said unprovoked, I didn't do it. I can understand him saying I didn't do it. Because it seems everybody in the fucking world knew he was being punished. So everybody would be like, oh, well, clearly he did it. I'm sure he probably said it just to put it out there. Like, hey... I was really mad at my dad, but I didn't do it. Mm-hmm. I, guys, I know what you're thinking right now. And that's why you guys are being quiet and giving each other weird looks and take off the fucking Six Flags hat you bought at the fucking gift shop. You're not making it better. He gave two statements to police, the first one in the presence of his grandparents. He said he stopped at Casey's gas station to fix the car that was idling too fast. The next statement he gave, he said the same thing, but by this time the police had questioned Darla, and she said that he had called from the Amico station. When presented with this, Jeff said that he stopped at both fixing the car at the Amico station and getting soda at Casey's. Jeff also acknowledged in a 1989 police interview that he didn't get along with his stepmom. Quote, I mean, I didn't hate her or anything, but we just tolerated each other. And that's totally understandable. Mm -hmm. Not everybody gets along with their step-parents. Not everybody gets along with their parents, period. Ask the Menendez brothers. Hmm. What? You jumped to the Menendez brothers? Am I wrong? No. I don't talk softly. He said he couldn't bring himself to call her mom, which I wouldn't expect him to. She shouldn't expect him to do that. He also told police that he loved his father and had no idea who would have committed the murders mm -hmm. and that the news of the murders stunned him. Police were suspicious and just came right out and accused Jeff. 
According to court testimony, Jeff, quote, slumped down in his chair, lowered his head, covered his eyes, and asked whether he could see Darla that night, whether he would go to jail that night, and whether he would go to the electric chair. Police were convinced that Pelly was guilty, largely due to the fact that they found it unlikely that Bob, who had been so adamant about grounding Jeff, would have suddenly changed his mind and let him go. Police said the motive was to attend the events and save face in front of his girlfriend. The case against Jeff was reportedly so weak that two district attorneys over two decades refused to prosecute. During those two decades, Jeff moved to Florida, married, had a child, and even became a Sunday school teacher. And throughout all this time, he continued to claim his innocence. The prosecution claimed for two decades that there wasn't enough information or evidence to press charges in the case, though others felt that the eventual prosecution was politically motivated due to an election year. You think maybe they just wanted somebody to pin it on? That's possible. And some people feel that way. Like, just so you could have closure, even if the closure is not real or true, you have some closure and, like, this is done. And even politically as well, to be like, hey, look, we did our job. This is stellar police work and all that stuff, just to be done with it. Well, Jeff's sister, Jackie, blames local politics for Jeff's arrest and police for a sloppy investigation. Is she Alex Jones? Did she say it was a new world order? No. Okay. Quote, he wouldn't have pulled the trigger, I believe, with all my heart. I know that Jeff is innocent. In mid-2002, St. Joseph County, Indiana District Attorney Christopher Toth was on thin ice with his constituents. They were supposedly dissatisfied with his job performance, or lack thereof, and one of their biggest gripes was the Pelly murders. Toth had previously declined to seek charges against Jeff, as did the DA before him, but he was allegedly now using it in an effort to satisfy voters and keep his job. As part of his re-election campaign, he promised to get justice for the Pellies and secured an indictment from the grand jury against Jeff. Jeff was then arrested on August 2nd of 2002 and charged with the murders. Now, despite Toth's promise, he ended up losing the election anyway. Ah. To his opponent, Michael A. Dvorak, who was sworn in in January of 2003 and had to take over the prosecution. Now, back in 1989, when Jeff was first considered the prime suspect, he and his grandfather spoke to Michael Dvorak, who at that time was just a practicing attorney, regarding legal advice. So when Dvorak took over the prosecution in 2003, Jeff asked for a special prosecutor to be appointed, citing a obvious conflict of interest. Mm -hmm. Dvorak refused to recuse himself and carried on trying the case himself. Wow. Mm-hmm. So. Even if he did do it, it doesn't seem like he got a fair shake anyway. Yeah. That doesn't sit well with me. We're going to do something about it. We're going to take it to the streets. No, we're not. We're going to just sit here and talk to them. Yeah, we're just going to tell you guys about it. We're going to be like, hey man, not cool. So the trial. Jeff's attorneys argued during the trial that he wouldn't have had time for the murders, the cleanup, 
and then to make it to prom in the time frame allowed. Now, if you recall, somebody stopped by around 4.30, show off her prom dress. Shortly after that, his friend dropped by and then had to leave to go pick up the corsage he left at home. Somebody's always showing off a fucking prom dress because you didn't buy any doves because you didn't fucking plan ahead. Right. But you went to fucking Olive Garden before the prom? Who said they went to Olive Garden? I just really want people to go to Olive Garden. I flatter myself to the thought they went and enjoyed the breadsticks and the salad and bottomless soups and everything. Really enjoyed the appetizers and everything. They have fried lasagna. Did you Fried lasagna. Did you get fried lasagna when you went? Yes, I did. And? It was good. (laughs) I wouldn't even need to go to prom. You take me to Olive Garden. I'll let you hit it. <laughs> give me some fried give me some fried lasagna and some breadsticks and a burger and keep complaining until they make the burger at Olive Garden. I don't know if they've ever made a burger, but bicker enough to where if you complain enough they make you a burger. I'll let you hit it. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> I don't want to see your fucking wine menu. I want a goddamn quarter pounder. Now. Now. Okay. Where is your manager, sir? I'm sorry, ma'am. Where is your manager? I want a burger. Are you saying the customer isn't right? No. Are you saying the customer isn't right? No, excuse me. No, excuse me. Your hand waved there. Burger and fries. Stacked. You have to squint your eyes like that. Yeah, I gotta do it. Yeah. I would lean over. I would lean over with my Mountain Dew and I'd be like, you're so hot right now. (laughs) I would just like have the straw fall out of my mouth and just be like, take me. I would wipe the placemats and the kid one because I would get the kid mat with the crayon. I would wipe it all off the table and be like, do me now. While they make the burger. Oh my You God. make the burgers. Do it. <laughs> and bring more breadsticks. These are on the floor. I don't know how they got there. It's a crazy thing. I found a hair at my house. <laughs> I want a burger. Maybe I'm just hungry. Maybe. You think? I think you're hangry. <laughs> it might be. <laughs> okay, so. The attorneys argued that he didn't... I'm not touching you. This is what they argued. Yep, that was what they argued. <laughs> Case closed. Yeah, they argued about who won the silent contest. <laughs> Effectively ruining it for everybody, really. <laughs> so, the time frame, if we're basing everyone's recollections, you know, as to what time they got there, we're looking at 30 to 45 minutes, maybe. They also said that Jeff couldn't have acted, quote unquote, normal at the prom. Friends of Jeff's testified at the trial that he did indeed act, quote unquote, normal. Other than the one person that said he was tense and sullen or whatever she called him. The defense and the whole he kept thinking something was wrong. Well, it doesn't say he kept thinking that. He just said it once. Oh. That's still notable. It's notable enough. We read it. 
Well, you read it. The defense questioned the decision by investigators not to look for fingerprints at the crime scene, reportedly because police had narrowed down the suspect to only Jeff with no possibility of others. A murder scene. No fingerprints. You should probably get every fingerprint that's ever touched anything ever. And then roll out these fingerprints, and then out of every fingerprint you got, anything that came back, you get an alibi. That way you can rule the suspect out. Or, quote-unquote, person of interest, who we all fucking know is a goddamn suspect. I don't know why they say person of interest. It's the dumbest fucking thing I've ever heard in my life. And then, check the blood splatter. Check where the direction was. Check the burn marks. Check and see if maybe there was any carbon fiber. Check the fucking tux. Check the clothes. Check and see if there's any sulfur or carbon, whatever the fuck comes out of there. I don't know. Just being scientific. Well, Jeff's attorney, Alan Baum, brought experts... Did he drop a bomb? No. He brought experts to attack the prosecution's timeline and time of death, which police put at about 5 p.m. on Saturday. Did they do that nuh-uh defense? No. Nuh-uh. Nuh-uh. But the first visitor came at 4.30. The second one arrived shortly after the first visitor left... And then he was already back to his house, got his corsage, and was headed back to prom, passing the Pelly house at 5.15. And they're saying that the deaths occurred around 5 p.m. What if they just didn't wear pajamas? If they never wore pajamas, that would throw everything off. Maybe it happened in the middle of the night. It could have, but then you've also got the neighbor, who you thought was nosy, and saying Jeff. the curtains were already pulled shut at 6 p.m., the family friend who stopped by to show off her dress, she said everything was already pulled shut and everything was locked. So. I don't know. You know, at the end of the day, whatever you tell me, I'll probably believe you. He could have very well did it and been very quick and very precise and with his cleaning and cleaning himself up and trying to pull off a normal demeanor. Or he didn't. Okay, he might have done it because there's a lot of reasons why he would do it. But the only thing is that you would have is actually a Joe Nickel defense of maybe you didn't do it. That's it. That's really all you got. You don't have anything pointing to any other suspect, any other reason. But the prosecution has the burden of proof. I know, but there's, yeah. Let me continue. There's nothing to say he didn't do it. So... The defense claimed the prosecution's theory was, quote, inconsistent with the laws of nature and human experience. Now, for those of you who are not well versed in law, that means horse shit. (laughs) He fed you a crock of shit. It's called a look at this defense. You ever heard of the look at this defense? Mm -hmm. Look at this motherfucker over here. (laughs) Yep. Talking out of one hole, his ass. During the trial... Jurors found a photo of a gun rack, which was missing a gun. (laughs) Jeff's stepsister, Jessie, testified that she remembered both a bow and a gun being on the rack on Friday night, which would be Bob Pelly's Mossberg shotgun that was missing. The jurors found the picture, combined with Jessie's testimony, significant. The TV show 2020... Talked to jurors who stated the police timeline wasn't what swayed them. 
One juror stated, quote, What stood out for me was a picture of Reverend Bob Pelly, a photograph of his body laying in the house. The manner in which it was laying led me to believe that the shooter came out of Jeff's bedroom. Hmm. His feet are towards either the master bedroom or Jeff's bedroom. You're going to assume that he must have been coming out of Jeff's bedroom. Hmm. Okay, sure. I can see that. But can you base your whole decision of guilt or innocence on that? No, you can't. And that's with any jury member. You know, that's, um, that is a man's life really in your fucking hands. But what if, okay, what if Jeff got the Mossberg and was planning to do what he did? This is all in theory, clearly. And I, I believe the gun rack that was missing the gun was actually in the master bedroom. Okay. So the gun came from the direction that Bob's feet were, as well as the direction of where Jeff's bedroom was. Okay. So either or. Okay. You ready for this? I don't know. Am I? I don't care what you're doing, Jeff. I'm coming in. Where the fuck is my shotgun? And don't start crying. Next thing you know, Jeff pulls out the shotgun that he took from his dad's room and now is going after him. And shoots him. Uh So, okay, sure. He might have came out of his room. Maybe that's why. Maybe he confronted him. was like, where's my shotgun? It was totally just here. And then he was like, oh, well, this is why I have the shotgun. And I'm not pointing it at your fucking ear. Next thing you know, he's running from him. Because you tend to do that with a person who has a gun and is pointing at you. You want to get away from him. That's not, I'm not dropping a bombshell on that one. Yeah. So, but I'm also saying but that's all they had a 50-50 chance of coming out of either Jeff's room or the master bedroom. How can the jury decide from one picture that's where the shooter was coming from? And even if they ha- the shooter had come out of Jeff's room, how does that definitively say that that was Jeff? Is Nothing. what I'm saying. Nothing does. There's always that little part where it's like, it's supposed to be beyond a reasonable doubt, but sometimes it's just not. Well, in the jury room over the and, course... And the defense or the prosecution or whatever would use that as a very big shock factor. That's very easy to do. A lot of showmanship. Look at this photo. Look at it. Ingrain it into you. You know? That's what they would do. That's what they would say to you to as a jury member. But if they wanted to do that, they would hold up the picture of the children. Sure. But the children were in a they were, they were positioned in a certain state. The only real giveaway is is Bob showed him going in a certain direction. So all it would have to take is just it really for showmanship. Like, look at this body. This was a person. This was a human being. And there, as you look, there he sits. Which would really I wouldn't know because I avoid jury duty. But I get it. To where that would really like sway your opinion. It could. I so, can understand how the jury would be swayed by how the prosecution pushed it. I can see them pushing it to like, look how grisly this murder is, and he needs to answer for it, type of thing. To where a jury member later on on 2020 would be like, well, it would have to have been. I saw the picture. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh. Well, in the jury room, over the course of two and a half days, uh, the jurors ended up taking three votes. 
and the number of not guilty votes eventually shrank until they all voted guilty, basing their decision on motive and opportunity. And on Friday, July 21st, 2006, Jeff was found guilty in a court of law based on what some would call a weak circumstantial case with no evidence directly tying Jeff to the murders. Yeah, I would say he was barely found guilty. He was sentenced in October of 2006 to 160 years in prison, which is 40 for each murder. According to an article in the South Bend Tribune, Jackie claimed to have uncovered the following evidence. I understand the sentencing. The sentencing is just. I don't know if it's on the right person, but that's a reasonable sentence to get. What did Jackie say? So Jackie claimed, of course, this is after the fact, to have uncovered the following evidence. That another man confessed. She said the man knows details of the crime scene not revealed to the general public. She also said that Bob had received a death threat in the weeks before the family was killed. And we have to kind of remember back to him being the one that was able to pinpoint who was embezzling money at the bank. So they had to run away in the middle of the night and all of a sudden he's a reverend and they changed their religion. Could be. be. If so, this worked out perfectly for the cartel cocaine same sentence. (laughs) There was some evidence that was ruled inadmissible as well, which was... Bob's role at the corrupt bank. There were inconsistencies between Jackie and Jesse's statements about the presence of the shotgun in the master bedroom that Friday, how Jeff didn't have any bruising on his body that would have resulted from firing so many shots with the shotgun, the alleged presence of suspicious cars at the parsonage in the days leading up to the murders, and the claim that someone allegedly saw a white limo with Florida plates in the area of the Pelly home on the day of the murders. Could have been somebody from Florida. Yeah, that's a little far-fetched, but... Yeah, I'm sorry. It seems like Jackie's kind of reaching in straws here. Yeah. In April of 2008, the Indiana Court of Appeals reversed and remanded Mm -hmm. Jeff's conviction, but on February 19th of 2009, the Indiana Supreme Court reinstated his conviction. So he had that little smidgen of hope there in between. I bet you he had a good night's sleep at least that one time. (laughs) He is currently an inmate at Wabash Correctional Facility, and his first eligible release date would be October 2nd of 2085, when he's 114 years old. Jeff's sister Jackie has since started the website justiceforjeff.com. You can visit the site. I did. All one word. According to the site in 2009, the Innocence Project from Indiana University School of Law, Indianapolis, agreed to take the case. And then there was a long period with no updates. And then an update posted in 2016 stated they are still working on a, quote, resolution. And to this day, no murder weapon or the Mossberg shotgun have been recovered. So that would also mean that on top of being able to kill his entire family, clean up, wash his clothes, evidently put the car back together, he would also have to get rid of the murder weapon. The murder weapon that has since confused an entire state. 
So let's take a look at some questions here that I thought of. These are your questions. Yeah. Okay. If Bob had taken parts off of the car, as witnesses claimed, and then had relented on letting Jeff drive, why didn't anyone see him repairing the car or putting parts back on? Yeah. You'd think if he did remove parts, he would want to make sure they were put back on correctly so that his son could drive safely. I mean, fuck's sakes, we remember Jeff getting a fucking wrench from a gas station. That's my next point. But is that why Jeff had to stop at the gas station to repair something? Because he tried to put the car back together himself. Or maybe dear old dad wasn't a great fucking mechanic. I would think he would be good enough if he knew what parts to remove, he could put them back on. Well, I mean, it, you, I can render a car useless. Give me 20 seconds in a case of beer. But you're going to put it back together and trust that no. your son can drive safely? No, but I'm saying I could sabotage a car very quickly. I don't think he was sabotaging. I think he was just trying to safeguard his son from going out and getting into more trouble. Well, still, I got fuck a car up. So, now, this point was the one I said to put a pin in for later. So when Jessie arrived back at the house, and this is the nine-year-old daughter, she'd been at the sleepover. She did it. (laughs) She got back to the house. The police were there. She was able to tell them where Jeff and Jackie were at. She said Jeff was at Six Flags. If it was so well known that he was grounded and wasn't allowed to go to school activities that week, How did she know he would be there? Had she possibly heard him getting that permission at the last minute to go to Six Flags? How did she know that he was there? It wouldn't be like, Jeff, like, no matter what he might have said, you tell him I was at fucking Six Flags. Yeah, I mean, she was gone that night. She would have had to have heard something before she left. Yeah. Saying he's going to be at Six Flags because... A nine-year-old really remembering exactly where their brother's going to be. And she's really none the wiser. Like, you would have to... You and have she's to actually... already traumatized from family, but she remembers that specific detail. Yeah. That he's at Six Flags. That struck me as probably the most odd thing out of the whole situation. Why did the police take no fingerprints at the scene? That's fucking... None. Not I don't. I don't understand that. Now, if they had really thought, yeah, Jeff's our suspect, that doesn't mean that you don't get to exclude doing your job because you say, hey, we found the guy. Just because you say it doesn't make it so. You need to be able to back that up. Yeah, you have to you have to find the suspect, not think there is a suspect, and then convince yourself you're right. You have to... That's what you're, I mean, like, it's not me coming down on cops. I love cops, but that if you're a detective, that's your job. Detect. Mm-hmm. Not prove you're right and avoid looking like a jackass because you didn't take any fucking fingerprints, period. Yeah. That's odd to me. That's odd. That would be odd to most people, most cops. Like, why didn't you, and you know, get prints? Out of all the cases we've probably heard about, about police negligence when investigating crimes, just simply not taking it. That's that's not even the same as like, oh, well, they mixed up the samples. 
or that you know they labeled them wrong. No, they didn't even fucking take fingerprints. Yeah, I can understand a mundane error. I can understand that because we're that's all human. almost deliberate. Because <laughs> I mean, like we're all human. We all make mistakes. Something can be mislabeled. Something can be filed away that we're not going to find until later, even after the convict is dead and found out to be innocent and exonerated. But it doesn't matter. This is like just you didn't even fucking do it. Yeah. To begin with. And that's why, to me, it seems it almost would have to be deliberate. How can you just not do something that important? I'm only going to put it out here now. Since it's recording, and it's going to go out to literally the whole world. If anybody I ever know is murdered, take fingerprints. Yeah. If I didn't do it, please take fingerprints. Help me out, man. And along that same line, how were charges filed so many years later? With the same lack of evidence, despite two district attorneys declining to prosecute for that many years. How, what made the difference between 1989 and 2006? Absolutely nothing. Nothing changed. No new evidence was revealed. And then all of a sudden, oh, we're getting an indictment. Yeah. That's a little strange. That's weird. And how was Dvorak allowed to continue as prosecutor? Just because he didn't recuse himself? Why was there not a judge somewhere going, no, you need to step down. You've had an interaction with this defendant. You cannot prosecute this case. He came to you for legal advice on this case. That just blows my mind that... This was even allowed. You said so yourself. This is small Indiana town. True, but... Maybe there wasn't another... But I mean, it went through appeals and it went up to the Supreme <clears throat> Court. Yeah. At some point, somebody probably would have stepped in. Like, oh, I mean, you're talking about... Not cool. The big head honchos when you're talking about the Supreme Court. And they still reinstated his conviction while allowing this prosecutor to have this type of conflict? You know what? I'm going to go ahead and put it out here now since we're recording this episode and we have a, a lot of followers on Twitter who are, you know, producers and directors and screenwriters. We have actors who are following us now. Hi guys. Hey, love you guys. Thanks. We're going to Olive Garden sometime on me. He'll buy you some breadsticks. I don't know, man. If you want a burger, I'll make it. But i tell you what. I wouldn't mind watching this on Netflix. Yeah. This documentary. This would be a good I one. I would like to see how, how this one would actually turn out. Because I'm telling you, I'm probably not doing this any justice from the research I've done. Because I don't have the access to all those little details that we're probably missing out of this whole thing. And this is just what I could find from the sources that you know I looked at. Which there were multiple ones. You can verify that with Billy. He saw me trying to make sense of my scribblings to make an outline <laughs> for days on end. But this would be definitely a good, yeah, a good case for that. This would be a good documentary. And it the thing with me is maybe he did do it. Sure, he might have. I want to know for sure. If he didn't do it, I want to know for sure because. When he was initially sentenced, it seemed very flimsy. And that's kind of my last question is, 
despite whether you think he did it or not, do you think that it's okay to convict someone with no actual evidence, just basing everything on motive and opportunity? I mean, like somebody could say, oh God, I hate my boss. They wrote me up. I want them dead. They would have the motive. And let's just say they happen to leave work at the same time as their boss one day and the boss ends up getting killed in the parking lot two seconds after they drive out of the parking lot. They had motive and opportunity. They aren't the ones that did it. Yeah. How is that proof that they did it just because they had motive and opportunity? That's just my thinking about it. I don't know how anyone else feels about that. I personally, I honestly don't know if he did. I think that chances are more likely that he did. But there's that chance that he may not have. And that's that little gray area. And I, in this case, seeing that he went another two decades and had a good life, <clears throat> moved to Florida and started having a family, I I have trouble thinking that someone that could kill their dad, their stepmom, and two little girls could go on to have what seems like a normal life and continue to proclaim their innocence throughout that time. But if he didn't, the timing just really fucking sucked for him. Yeah. Because it just happened to be that one night that comes into question that everyone's saying, oh, no, no, his dad would have never let him go. I wonder if he ever in an interview or ever thinks you know, to himself that despite everything, I wonder if he's grateful. I wonder if he's like, you know, like this is all presuming he's innocent. I'm not going to say he is or not. But you think maybe he was like, at some point was like, you know, I'm kind of glad this worked out because if I was grounded, my ass would be dead too. My ass would be down there with a mm -hmm. fucking shotgun round blasted off on my fucking face. And you know, if somebody, let's just go out on a limb and say somebody from this bank issue tracked them down in Indiana. Hey, it which could happen. That could I happen. do think the whole situation with Bob's own daughter saying, yeah, we had to move in the middle of the night and then we changed religion and all of a sudden my dad wasn't an IT director. He was a reverend. Yeah. In a small town in Indiana, you know, yeah. 1,100 miles away. Yeah, just look, saying. Here it is. Here it is. Here it is. You ready? Wake up. Wake up. We gotta go. What? 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 Oh, uh, we're moving. We're moving. Moving? Yeah, we're gonna go to Indiana. Indiana? Yeah. Yeah, we're gonna go to Indiana. There's just corn in Indiana. There's corn and there's churches. And guess what? I love Olive Garden. So we're going to go. <laughs> and I found I found Jesus. And I'm going to start a new thing. Don't worry about the bank. It's okay. It's okay. Mm -hmm. There's mm -hmm. no cartels. Mm. But we got to go. <laughs> Nobody's coming. Nobody's on their way right now. They're not in our city armed. But we got to go. <laughs> There were a whole lot of knots in there. Don't cry. Don't you fucking cry. <laughs> Just say hallelujah. Hallelujah. All right. You're doing it. You're doing it. We're getting it. Man, I hope I never get shot in my fucking hallway. <laughs> I think you, that's literally how it went down. Whether you think it could have been a hitman or contract or whatever in the hell you want to call it, it is kind of odd 
all of that. And if he really did receive a death threat within a couple weeks before then, you know, what if somebody was casing the house and was getting ready to go in and they were like, oh shit, that kid's coming out. Let him drive away first. And that was Jeff going to his prom and came in after him and just walked in. I find it odd that if Bob was shot first, why did Don not take the two daughters and run outside of the house? Why did she run into the basement? Yeah, that is literally the last place you go to if you're running from somebody. If you're ever running from somebody, don't go in the fucking basement. Yeah. I mean, it could have happened. And as much as I don't want murderers to be out on the streets, especially people that can kill their own family, I would hate to think this guy was actually innocent and will never be free again. You just have to know. Gosh, shadow of a doubt, you have to know. And there's just, there's too many questions. It's one of those cases that really questions what you consider beyond a reasonable doubt. It's that, what's that, uh, Adnan? Mm-hmm. Kind of like that. There's, there, there's too many questions that outweigh... But in his case, there's so much evidence that does not point to him. There's literally only one person saying, yeah, he did it. I saw the body. Yeah. That's that's it. But at least they collected evidence in that case. That's the thing. Like, there's, <laughs> there's things about this one to where it's like, this really needs to be reopened. And I would say it needs to go to the Supreme Court, but we saw that shit worked. Yeah. I don't know. This is one of those things where if they had collected evidence at this point in time, maybe there would be stuff that they could send back to the lab. And with advancements in technology, they could test it further. But since the police didn't collect any fucking evidence. And then there's still the question of where the fuck did the gun go? If it really was Bob's own gun that was used to kill all of them, where'd the gun go? Did he really have time to do all this and get rid of this gun so it's never been found again? I don't yeah, know. I don't get it. I don't know. I don't know. And I do want to say this was a topic that was suggested by someone in um Facebook group that we're in, podcast we listen to. I I don't remember what your name was. I'm so sorry. But someone suggested this and I know we're kind of dark humor and not all true crime, <laughs> but hopefully we did it a little bit of justice. And if you do listen to it, I hope you enjoyed it as well as the rest of you that are listening. I do vow to you though, without Erica even knowing right now, she's going to find out who you are and you're going to be added onto the show notes. Probably. It'll happen. I tried to track you down before we, recorded but i couldn't find you so i'm sorry but i did tell someone that i would look into it for our podcast because it was something i'd never even heard about because i mean we were kids ourselves in 1989 and it's not something you know our parents would have talked about with us i don't know i remember dad came home one time he's like hear this shit about this motherfucker guy's head blown off his motherfucking hallway this fucking creature i'm like dad the language that didn't happen no you're a liar he took us to Olive Garden. You're so lying. He took us to Chi Chi's. <laughs> Chi Chi's? That's a lie, too. <laughs> 
I haven't heard Chi Chi's in a long time. I know. I never went there. That's why they went out of business. Sorry, Chi Chi's. Mm. I couldn't make it. You you kept them from staying in business. Yeah. Well, they're not in business now. I never went there. Prove me wrong. <laughs> I went to Olive Garden. They're doing fine. I never there. went to Chi Chi's either. There you go. Me? You're the ones talking about them being out of business. Well, we failed them. I know I said last uh, episode that I would like to read some of our reviews at the end of the episodes. This week, we've obviously gone a little too long. <laughs> Plus, things are getting kind of hectic around here because we're packing up and moving and everything. So, Yeah, so uh, I will try and read some the next time. This one has run pretty long compared to the last few that we've done. So, please. Oh, are you about to do shout outs? In a second, after you say what you have to say. Well, you 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 go ahead. Don't do shout outs yet. But go ahead. What? Go ahead. No, 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 no. Do the Facebook and Twitter thing. Go ahead. I wasn't going to do that. Oh, you said but... please. So go ahead. I was going to ask them, as much as it's a pain in the ass, to help out our show a little bit. If you could please go on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you get our podcast at. And if there's an option to leave a rating or a review, please do that for us. It'll help possibly bring our show to a wider audience. And you'll make us feel really good that we're doing something that you guys like. Yay. Feel free to drop us an email. That's martinisinthemacabre at gmail.com. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, suggestions for topics, questions, comments. We're easy. You want to tell us about the time you lost your tooth when you got hit by a baseball and said, great, sure, we'll we'll read. We'll read it. We'll even tell other people about it. Yeah, I'll be like, <laughs> look at this dude. I, I won't, but we see how Erica is now. Yeah. I think we just found something out about Erica. Yep. I don't like it when you lose teeth from getting hit by a baseball. There you go. I'll give you a hug. No, you won't. I will. You won't. I will. I'm like, sorry, man. That sucks. Are you okay? What if they're in fucking Dubai? Well, I guess. Or North Dakota. I guess I'm going to North motherfucking Dakota. Here's the thing. At the end of Red Dragon, Edward Norton is talking to the blind chick. Uh Uh-huh. And she's traumatized, clearly, about what happened. Mm Mm-hmm. Spoiler alert. And he was like, well, you, you didn't do anything wrong. You didn't... You didn't fall in love with a monster. You fell in love with a man who had a monster on his back. Remember that? Mm-hmm. And then to make light of everything, he was like, he like they, they had a little back and forth, and he was like, can we do something about that hair? And she laughed while she was crying. Remember? Mm-hmm. Why didn't she say, bitch, I'm blind. The fuck you want me to do with my fucking hair? Look in the mirror, you fucking asshole. That's my beef. That's the beef I have with that fucking movie. Or, maybe, last time I checked, I'm under the impression that the person I loved and clearly gave a blowjob to in the middle of him watching a fucking video, he blew his head off in front of me. My hair is not the biggest fucking concern. Plus, didn't know if you noticed, I'm blind. Thank you. You wanted me to wait to do our closing... I was going to forget. I told you to remind me. I reminded myself. Okay. Good for you. I don't know what the fuck that was about.
have a beef with the end of a movie. Next time you watch Red Dragon, when he says that, you're going to remember me and you're going to laugh at yourself because you're going to be like, yeah, she's blind. All right. Good talk. All right, guys. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram. Why the fuck would you care about your hair? At Martinis in the Cobb. On Twitter, at Martini underscore macabre. I know people that wake up in the morning and they don't care about their hair. They do work. And you can visit our website, www.martinisandthemacabre.com. I got friends on Facebook that don't care about their hair. They've said it. Billy's on a tangent. You don't need any. I'm going to back away slowly while smiling and nodding my head. You guys have a great night. Yes, thank you, and uh, we're already over halfway to the 3,000 mark that we met last month, so please keep it up. Share, share, share. Somebody tell North Dakota to get on board. Oh my god. (laughs) And we'll talk to you guys soon.
ass to have to sit there and listen to all this bullshit and then try and remember where the bullshit started. 